Australia is a world leader in food production. Alternative proteins, reducing water usage and repurposing waste are just some of the ways that Australian scientists are innovating our food systems. In this National Science Week series, we're going to discover what it means when food is different by design. Welcome to episode four of the National Science Week podcast series by Generation Ag. Today, we're going to be looking at some of the work that's being done in enhancing the sustainability of Australia's food production systems, both on the research end of things and the commercial. First up, I spoke to Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development Researcher Valeria Lima. Growing up in Brazil's semi-arid region, drought was a constant presence in Valeria's life. Being exposed to the devastating impacts of drought on communities meant that Valeria was always fascinated by water and how the essential resource is managed. During her degree in agricultural and environmental engineering at Brazil's Federal University of the Semi-Arid Region, Valeria focused on wastewater recycling for irrigation, and her interest in agriculture continued as she began her PhD at the University of New South Wales, UNESCO Centre for Membrane Science and Technology. Today, Valeria works as a researcher for the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development in Carnarvon, Western Australia. Then Valeria's interview will be followed up by Lavinia's chat with Dr Ben Cole, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Wide Open Agriculture. With a PhD in Environmental Engineering, Ben Cole has a passion for startup and growth companies. He believes that for-profit, for-purpose enterprises play a vital role in building an equitable economy and a healthy planet. Between 2008 and 2013, he founded, managed and sold a profitable social enterprise in Vietnam. Ben has been a leader in the design and implementation of market-based water supply and sanitation projects in countries with developing economies, totaling up to $45 million. Today, Ben is the Managing Director of Wide Open Agriculture, a regenerative food and farming company engaged in the development and marketing of delicious, healthy and sustainably produced food through its farmland portfolio and Dirty Clean Food brand. This is a jam-packed episode, so let's not wait a moment more. Here's Valeria and Ben. Did you know about 40% of fruit and veggies are not sold in shops just because we think they're ugly? Satisfy your appetite for science this National Science Week from the 14th of August. Head to scienceweek.net.au for events near you. Valeria Lima, welcome to the National Science Week podcast. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about a bit of me and what I do. Um, yeah, pleasure. Now we're grateful to have you on today. Start by um, introducing yourself. What is your connection to food? So, um, my connection with food, I'm a research scientist at, um, with the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development. And currently, I oversee the fruit, the research on fruit production in Carnarvon, WA. So that's my main connection with um, food is producing um, local produce from Carnarvon based on fruits and making sure that the, yeah, we produce good quality produce to WA. 
as you mentioned, yeah, you're a researcher for the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development. Um, take us back a little bit. Where did your sort of connection with food and food systems begin? Like when, or maybe your fascination with the science of those things? So I originally am from Brazil. So I did a degree in um, agriculture and environmental engineering. And I was really drawn for the environmental side of the course. But then it was like 30% of the course and I ended up falling in love with the, all of the pro- food production systems involved just in the agricultural part of the, of the course. So I was drawn by the environmental you know, side of it. But at the end of the day, I fell in love with the, how the production system was so active and especially the you know, growth cycle of the crops, how active that was. And um, yeah, that's where my passion started with agriculture and mainly with um, water management in agriculture because I come from a semi-arid region in Brazil where water availability is limited. So that was the focus of our work, how to improve the water usage um, in the agriculture sector, you know, in those places where water is limited. So it's safe to say then, I suppose, that you have always been concerned with the environment and sustainability and, and your impact on those areas? Yes, definitely. So I, I don't think you can disconnect the you know, agricultural systems from the environment. You would have an unbalanced um, production system. So I think, you know, even on, our, on my research, on my actual research currently, I do try to um, bring the balance back to the systems where the balance has been lost somehow. Um, and this could be by um, introducing, um, you know, beneficial insects to a crop, and that could be monitoring how the plant is responding to the environment that is growing, how we could improve the performance of the production system, and always looking for improvements, but completely in balance with the environment, because you want to have that. So you just mentioned um, your research, and we'll get into your current research in a little bit, but I'd love to ask you about some of the other projects maybe that you've worked on in the past and and I guess about your research journey. Um, So following from, you know, my research in Brazil was mainly focused on um, salinity, you know, that was an issue. You have limited water, but also the quality of the water wasn't the greatest. So the the research was focused on how do we produce crops under those circumstances with limited water and limited quality due to salt presence. Um, Following that, I did... I did a one-year internship in a greenhouse in the, in the United States, just look, learning all the whole production system. So that brought me, you know, a new perspective and a new um, modern technology to how the future um, food is produced. Following that, I did um, a PhD um, at the University of New South Wales, and that was, again, going back to improving the water use efficiency in agriculture, just using um, new new um, technologies of membrane filtration, but uh, the outcome of it was to reduce the amount of water that the plant that we, we we would use for the plant, just to achieve that outcome. For anyone that's listening to this um, and maybe unfamiliar with food systems and and water in food systems just how much research and work have you seen that's gone in at the moment to reducing water usage in in food production systems 
Um, so there's a lot of research and I, it's, it's safe to say that one of the main issues in irrigation especially is to when to irrigate and how much um, to put in. So some of the research they have focused on that and what we're trying to achieve in that space is um, to, to couple some of the um, monitoring equipments and technologies. So we observe how the plant is responding. So we try to come up with um, the best program because a lot of places they have, as I said, they have limited water but um, quantity, but also some places they have limited water quality. So working in that space um, and managing your irrigation, that's one of the, um, the main concerns that we have and how we try to address as well. So maybe take us on a deep dive now into the work you're currently doing at DeepHerd and sort of what a day in the life looks like for you. Well, looking after the fruit production in, um, in Carnarvon, it has been a challenge but also a pleasure. Um, some of the, so to get your background, so we produce fruit in Carnarvon, so think about mangoes, bananas, um, and we have to some extent some citrus as well, like very distinguishable like green skin oranges but they are very sweet from Carnarvon um, so what we're trying to do is to improve the production systems of those fruits so for example we have a new trial on the mango mango trees that they are trained on the trellis which means they are instructed and what we're trying to improve is just getting more plants in a smaller area and training them in an open way um, where we have more fruits per, um, in a similar area. So more trees in a, in a reduced area. So also increasing that productivity. And we're looking into ways that the growers can, you know, grow the, those trees on the trellis, just getting a better performance, a better yield for the area they have. Um, some other aspects of our work is looking into um, the irrigation scheduling. So we're doing some really cool measurements on the plants that we monitor how they respond to when we put water, how much water we, we give to them. So we, we try to fine tune some, um, some, some guidelines for the growers. So that's um, one of the coolest uh, projects we have. Another one, we're looking to protected cropping because Carnarvon has a, a few challenges for the climate. Let's say it's uh, too windy, so you, um, you can lose some of your production to sunburn of the fruits, let's say for the mangoes. So we're trialing both at, at our research station and also at some growers, we're trialing how we protect the crop um, and minimize the impact of the climate, climatic conditions on the production. So those are a few challenges that we um, have research going on in Carnarvon at the moment. There's a couple of pathways you can take as a researcher. One is to be, you know, incredibly sort of, yeah, I guess lab focused and always looking at new innovations and things. But it sounds like a lot of your research is very, very applied. Yes, yes. That was one of the motivations to take on this this journey because um, I did some research in the lab and it's it's really good to, some, to an extent to develop technologies. Um, but in Carnarvon, what we do is we're trying to apply technologies that would be useful for the growers and we bring a benefit to their production systems. So for example, one of the challenges we have in Carnarvon um, is the boron levels in the soil. 
it's it's quite toxic. So what we're doing, we're looking into um, plants that we could intercrop with our mangoes, for example, um, or we have a new trial with like persimmons where they would remove that borum from the soil. And so it's a, it's a, it's a way of helping the main crop with another crop and that would have a benefit. So that would be more on a sustainable way of um, consociating those two crops. Valeria, what does a day in your life look like? Well, so first thing, when we come, um, it would be good to do a walk on the trials and we see, you know, what are the main challenges. For for example, now we're having a very rainy season in Carnarvon, which is, um, you know, it's a, a typical year, but we have to check and what um, pressures from pests and disease do you have? So you have to plan your like you have to plan a week ahead so of your schedule. So you have to check what task needs to be done, if you need harvesting, if you need um, pruning of the trees, and you have to reveal how your plant is doing. So a bit of uh, computer work as well. You would check your, check your monitoring gear, how the watering the soil levels are doing. Um, and that, would, that was the basics of the checkup of your trials every day and then you would plan um yeah plan some of the trials develop programs and search for um new projects that you could incorporate so that's pretty much a day of a researcher um it's first i think the first half of your day is checking your research that it's actually on the ground and make sure it's um it's running properly and be on top of the task that needs to be done and the other half would be um, administration work on what to do in that trials, researching better methods, how you could incorporate that better methods to what already research has been done and also um, looking for future ideas. So we do also have a little bit of um, engagement with the growers. So part of that day would be visiting growers, visiting the trials we have on their sites, um, you know, responding to inquiries about new crops that people are willing to grow and they're looking after information so we provide some information for them as well um yeah it's very engaging but very um yeah exciting super diverse I think um I think that's what a lot of people would love about your kind of role is um very mixed between being in the office but also spending a lot of time outside talking to people and investigating what's going on definitely we didn't really cover it before, but I'd love to ask, like, what, what brought you to Australia? Was it the PhD? Um, initially, yes, but I had a really good professor that she, she worked at the CSIRO. And, and when, I, when I was in Brazil, I went back from the U.S. and um, I was actually applying to the PhD in the U.S. And she was, oh, you've, you've already learned something from the U.S. when you did your internship. Why don't you try a new place, maybe Australia? And I was never never occurred to me to go to Australia but that was the first seed that she um she put on me and then from there I started I started to research professors that would because I really wanted to do a PhD um so but I just changed from the US to Australia from that thought and I started so I found really good professors that were supportive on of what I wanted to research and that's how I ended up here <laughs> so 
you'd never been to Australia before you just jumped on a plane to come do your PhD? Exactly. <laughs> That's incredibly brave. Well done. And obviously you haven't left. So how long have you been in Australia now? So I've, I started um, in 2014 and then I finished my PhD after three and a half years. So I did a bit of um, postdoc work at the university and I have been with the department for nearly a year now. Um, yeah, I think about finding the similarities between my work in Brazil, what I've learned there and applied there, but also similar challenges in Australia. It really has um, made me feel like working at home. <laughs> Um, so I feel like a continuation of everything I've done and I think there's yeah great opportunities here. It, with with all of your sort of study and travel in mind, you know, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe thinking about embarking on a research pathway? The advice I always give when I um, when I'm asked that question is find something that you are motivated about, like personally. And then find someone to, you know, to be your supervisor. If you're looking to um, doing a, a degree, looking to a supervisor that has a similar interest. Or if you're looking for an employer, look for an employer that has a similar interest of you. For me, I was always, um, I knew I, I liked research, but I really liked also to extend that knowledge and that research findings so I think that's what I found with um, the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development is we, we're doing research, but we're doing um, it focused in a way that we want to get back to the growers with the findings and really improve their daily life, you know, improve their production system. It's not research for the sake of research. It's really um, we have an, you know, an extension program to reach out to the growers with those findings. That's got to feel really good. You know, not only do you get to sort of research and write papers, it's, it's actually about making a difference for real people. Yes, I think, and that's, um, it's really a motivation that keeps you going because when, when you're only researching um, and publishing your papers, it's a good motivation. But when you see it in practice, I think that's the, um, that's the greatest motivation for me. When you, when you get to make a change or, you know, it doesn't have to be a big improvement, but a small change or a small improvement, when you collaborate to that, then um, that's, I think it's, it's really rewarding. So how long do you think we'll keep you in Australia? Do you have any intentions of uh, taking all your <laughs> knowledge back home? Well, I do collaborations with um, professionals back home, especially on the area of research. So I think it's a way to extend um, your, your knowledge and to give back as well. But also I, I take some advice from them and I take some research findings. So I think it's a, you know, it's a mutual call of like, you know, a, a benefit. It's not, it's getting, giving something back, but also receiving. And that's always you find in the, in the field of research. You have to, you, I think you, you're best set up to succeed when you collaborate because you have new ideas and also you adopt ideas and you implement them and, improve them, adopt them, and that would, you know, most of the times it results in greater success. I'm really interested to know, um, coming to Australia, what's your perception been of the rate of innovation that's happening in the Australian food system? It is, um, it is really encouraging that you see that, you know, from 
of research from a government perspective. We investing on research, we investing on new production systems because we see the way that um, agriculture is evolving and the way technology adoption is, is increasing. And, you know, we see that, that the government is really worried about that adoption of technology because our research has been focused on demonstrating those, um, those methodologies and also like hoping by demonstrating to the growers, it will facilitate their adoption and show to them what's available and how they can improve their production systems. Valeria, the National Science Week topic this year is food different by design. And I'd love to hear your take on that concept. Yeah, so I have two takes, one personal and one um, professional. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, different by design. I just love to see how foods come, food comes in different shapes and size and colours. And, you know, that's really like my personal take and, you know, how you should go with that to really nourish your body with different shapes and sizes. But, um, but also from a professional pers- um, perspective, I see the different ways we're using to produce food and to improve the quality of the food, the nutrient content of the food. And it's um, it's not that it's, for example, if you take a, a greenhouse tomato from a field tomato, um, you know, we see the long way that the technology has evolved and there are different production systems to produce um, similar crops. But it's just a matter of um, what suits the growers, the locations, and um, the level of technology that is adopted by the growers. But um, how diverse is the system that can produce like the same crop? Yeah, I think that's a really great take. Um, one of my last questions for you, Valeria, is um, what does the future hold for you? Like what, what sort of solution or solutions do you want to be working on or problems do you want to be solving um so I think like I haven't been with the department for long it's been only a year so I see a lot of them the future challenge that we're trying to tackle now and most of them will um somehow look into the sustainability of our production systems so bringing um new new production system but in in balance with the environment looking to that perspective and also looking into better ways to use our water in quantities and qualities. So in different regions, different um, production systems, they would be optimised. That all sounds really, really exciting. Valeria, if people want to know more about you or your research, how can they do that? Um, so the department is, is, is has the news that you can always see the publications, what we're up to. We can also find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on ResearchGate if you're looking into more the academic perspective of it. Um, but those are some profiles that you can check and be up to what we, we've been doing at the department. Awesome. Valeria, thank you so much for your time today and sitting down with me and sharing your story. That means so much. Thank you, you for the opportunity. And I hope people enjoy my story. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on this special episode of Generation Ag with Science Week. I would love for you to chat a little bit about your career first and tell us how you became the Managing Director of Wide Open Ag. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, and thanks. It's great to speak to everyone. Um, it actually started through, um, I guess, exposure to uh, my early childhood where um, I had a really sort of engaged mum who was really interested in all things sort of um, social justice and sort of environmental sort of practices. So I was kind of exposed to it, mainly through my mum. My dad was less so, but um, I think that kind of just got me interested in um, nature and just sort of the, the workings of nature. And I used to watch David Attenborough and get really fascinated by those shows. So I then progressed into uni and studied um, zoology and chemistry. And putting those two together was um, a degree in, in New South Wales, actually. I moved across from WA to New South Wales to study ecotoxicology, which is basically the study of man-made chemicals in, in systems. And I met a really amazing man there, Michael Warren, who um, showed me how you can understand how the pathway of man-made chemicals can have both positive impacts. Um, so I was studying atrazine, really positive herbicide, did amazing things, but also had, I guess, what they describe as off-target impacts as well. So that got me, got me just sort of interested in all things ag and ag chemicals. And then as my career progressed, I got very interested in how um, a very key pollutant in our uh, world, which is actually um, human, human uh, waste, effectively affected uh, developing countries. So I spent a long time working in countries like Papua New Guinea and Sri Lanka, uh, Vietnam and Malawi, looking and trying to understand how do you give 2.4 billion people a toilet? And what I learned was that you can do it in a very simple way. You can just try and give it to them, just a classic sort of donor model. But it just didn't work. There was no sort of growth or expansion in it. So then I got really interested in how market-based approaches could deliver social and environmental good. And I did a PhD in that at Murdoch University. And during that time, I was working in and out and I, I started a business. I've been working for UNICEF for about 10 years. And I started a business um, that was making anti-pollution face masks, which is, of course, doing very well during this current <laughs> pandemic. But that really was a social enterprise. We employed women caring for or living with someone with um, HIV. And that really showed to me how market mechanisms can work. And my wife is from Narragin. And we'd had two kids and we'd been living in Malawi. And um, we wanted to come home. And home was the farm. And um, I really wanted to apply all that sort of knowledge I'd used back in West Australia to sort of build a successful, profitable business that has both social and environmental impact. And that, that alongside the, the now the co-founder and chair, Anthony Maslin and Stuart McAlpine, who are really leading biological and regenerative farmer uh, and common land, we founded Wide Open Agriculture. Yeah, that's amazing. What a, an amazing story. You've travelled the whole world on this journey and ended up back at, at your roots I love those sort of it doesn't matter how far you go you always end up where you're supposed to be or a lot of the time yeah. in your own backyard so yeah, tell us more about wide open ag sort of the idea wh where it came from the three of you sort of combining your minds and sort of getting it to where it is today yeah, it actually started um with with the chairman Anthony Maslin Mas was introduced to this group um, called Commonland, and, and they're a Dutch organisation, but the Dutch are amazing. They've always got a real global outlook. And um, it was founded by an ecologist who, I think a lot like my experience, had seen all these amazing kind of programs that were supported by governments. 
that would only last for three years and only have a very kind of sort of uh, boundaried um, impact. They wouldn't actually scale naturally. So he said, well, actually, I want to create something that supports businesses that actually have scaled impact, that look at large-scale landscapes and really tackle the big questions around accelerating climate change and biodiversity loss and also uh, loss of, um, you know, farming communities and just basically promoting more farmers. And then also the final one was this idea of wrapping it all around sort of inspiration, doing something that really makes people feel, feel positive. So Mass was brought into that sort of uh, framework and he said to me about three months before I moved home, have a look at this and do you think it would work in the wheat belt? And we had literally sort of built the sort of early stages. I'd rented like a <laughs> three-metre by three-metre office in downtown Narragin. And um, we saw on the front page uh, a picture of what had been happening around Dalwallanew and the work around the repopulation strategy. And that was Stuart McAlpine. So I called the Shire and quickly had a call with, with Stuart and saw that regenerative agriculture, the term, um, sort of really captured the spirit of what we were trying to do. So that really became our focus to be um, a leading regenerative food and agriculture company, to be a real advocate for it, um, to offer farmers sort of an alternative mechanism through our food brand, Dirty Clean Food, to reach markets. And that's really the essence of, of the business. Yeah, absolutely. I just love how it all came together at the right times where you sort of all aligned and it's like little moments like seeing the story with Stuart yeah. and being in the right place at the right time. It all came together to build the foundation of what it is today. And you're an ASX listed company, which is pretty major. Can you talk a little bit about sort of um, more of the business side and how that came about, but also some of the main challenges that you face within the business on a daily as well. Yeah. Yeah. The decision to, to list on the Australian Stock Exchange was actually a decision we made the first day we, we founded the company. So we list, we, we registered the business as, a, as an unlisted public company. And the reason we did that is like we saw that um, and really believe that capital is required to um, solve some of the big challenges. Uh, around um, certainly landscape degradation and also allowing sort of a pathway for farmers to see um, alternative ways of, of farming that protect soil health and biodiversity and water cycle. And capital markets are great for that. You know, they, they can be used to really allocate capital uh, to solve major problems. We've seen it like with, with the tech boom. Um, we've seen it with other industries where once capital flows towards them, problems get pursued and, and generally solved. So we went about that um, from our early days, but it was really challenging. Um, food and agriculture as a sector, not really seen as of interest to capital markets mm. prior to COVID. That has literally switched 180. And then the term regenerative, of course, is new, still new to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So when you bring something new to um, markets, capital markets, they're very reluctant because there's a real risk sort of um, overlay. So that was, that was something we, I actually really enjoyed engaging in because we are now the first four returns and that's the sort of common land language and framework around financial, social, natural and inspirational returns. And we've got that in our constitution. So we took that to market and um, the IPO, when we took our first prospectus to market, it was very challenging to get investors in. I think a lot of investors thought we were a charity but yeah. actually we're, we're a for-profit, for-purpose company. 
So I spoke to 90 um, stockbroking firms and probably about another 150 sort of either high net worth or just general retail investors. And it was it was an interesting process and in that what happened is that we actually, by being very open and transparent that we were for profit, for purpose, we actually only got the right investors. And mm. that's really important and a story I would share to anyone out there looking to start their own um, enterprise or organisation. You've got to really get the right backers because you're not going to get it all right all the time. So you need them to be able to join you on the journey and, and to come alongside. Mm. So that's that's where we got to, yeah, through the IPI process. Yeah, that's so fascinating. It's so true when you say uh, it's about having the right people in the room with you to support you because that can make all the difference with the success of a company. So it's great that you found that. Yeah, it is. And and I guess the day-to-day sort of challenges is actually, um, yeah, I would to quote Johnny Cash, it's walking the line. It's um, mm-hmm. finding the right balance between profit and purpose. Like we really are committed to supporting uh, West Australian farmers on their journey of regeneration, however they want to take that. Um, and we want to offer that uh, in a way that's uh, profit-driven, both for the farmer, um, but also for us. We, we have a commitment to our shareholders to a financial return. But then we've also made a commitment around natural returns, around uh, promoting practices that um, support healthy soil and particularly sequestration of carbon. Uh, and along with that, biodiversity on farm and, and natural um, processes around the water and, and nutrient cycle. So that's that often requires money. And um, for a company that is, you know, listed, we, we're obviously having to make really careful and considered decisions. So we don't just talk about the bottom line at the board, um, at the board level. We, we talk a lot about the four returns. And with that comes complexity, but we love that. Like that's that's how we think um, all businesses should be having these conversations. Yeah, so it's 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 challenging, but I don't know, and I know none of us would want to do it any other way. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about the regenerative practices and how, obviously, when we talk about regen ag, it is still sort of a, not a taboo word, but a word a lot of people are a little bit afraid of talking about. And what's been the response when you speak about regen ag? Well, it's definitely changed a lot in the seven years that we've been talking about it. And um, we really now see it as sort of a much more, just on-farm conversation rather than a, a term like a sort of us or them. We really see it much more as just an alternative way of practising um, your farming system. And I think I think the big one, so we, we work across predominantly across um, lamb and beef, oats and lupin because we do that really well in the wheat belt and the southwest of WA. And there's really good uh, farmers who are uh, um, you know, practicing a way that is is regenerative. I guess the main the main practice that I see makes a real shift is um, focusing more on soil health than the above ground um, crop. So farmers that we work with, the first thing they do is always have a shovel in the back of their ute, and they're always looking at at, at their roots and and their soil, uh, understanding that when when you have an active um, naturally functioning uh, sort of soil uh, system with both bacteria and fungal interactions uh, that isn't heavily influenced by, by chemical fertilisers, you really can promote um, the, the best things that nature is already offering. Uh, and that, that is a good cycling of, of nutrients. 
So those practices range from those rotational grazing practices to ensure that you've got no bare ground. That, that's a really sort of simple principle that really means a lot of differences. You don't see that sort of classic sort of build-up of, particularly in a season like this, you don't see that classic build-up of um, straw and sort of grass along fence lines because they've left armour on the soil. Um, they've left uh, diverse crops uh, or uh, remnant, you know, in the, those dry seasons, um, the dry period of the season, they've left um, stubble on ground that allows the soil and the topsoil to retain. It doesn't blow away. It, it doesn't wash away. And that topsoil is, is really the sort of the power source for, for building really good um, nutrition for your crops and with that good food. Um, the, the application of um, really sort of disc, disc seeders is big in, in, the, in the cropping system and replacing chemical fertilisers with, with biologically active fertilisers. That's a really important principle and cutting down in where you can, um, really understanding what you need to activate the natural interaction between the root and the soil biota uh, rather than just overfeeding them uh, with chemical fertilisers. So this is a really important principle and we really believe it creates a more nutrient-balanced crop as well. So they're, they're two of the key ones, but what, I, what excites me the most is so now when we have field days, um, it used to be a pretty self-selecting group, innovators, but now, yeah, to use that classic diffusion of innovation sort of term, I think now it's becoming early adopters. And the conversations are at farm level. Like they're not about politics or a word regenerative. They're about, oh, so how could I, how could I adjust my inputs? Um, how do you apply that disc seeder and where did you buy that equipment from? How often do you move your sheep and how big is, how big is the paddock? Um, where could I get seed from to increase the diversity of my um, pastures or to do multi-cropping species? So I, that, that's, for us, the most important outcome is actual practical, pragmatic changes on farm. Not really too concerned about who's for or against the term regenerative, but actual just positive outcomes on farm. So, yeah, that's what we're really striving for. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's about those on-farm conversations because that's when the genuine, authentic information is shared and mm. everyone in that, those groups has the collective understanding of, you know, we need to create action now for the future, otherwise we're not going to be here. And that's just really what it's about. It's it's little it's a little bit scary, I think, for some people to hear that because a lot of people have been doing the same thing for a long time and to change practice, change is always hard, especially in this mm. industry. But to see what the work that you guys are doing, it's it's phenomenal and it's really exciting. I would love to learn a little bit about what a typical day in the life is for you or a typical week in the life because we've got a lot of young listeners and I think it's really important to hear what you're up to in the daily. Yeah, well, I, I was um, the first person through the door. So Maz and Stuart have always played non, non-executive roles. So um, the benefit of that is that you get to rise as the company grows. So that's really exciting. So now as managing director, my role is really, really focused on, on communicating um, our, our narrative and, and our sort of business strategy and our outcomes to investors and future investors. And we're ASX, ASX listed. So that, that ranges from institutional investors, so larger funds, um, all the way through to retail investors as well. So that's, that's a big part of my week. And I always make sure I allocate enough time for that. And then... Um, 
human, you know, our, our team, our human resources and capital means so much to me. And we've built a really good culture here now. So I'm sort of um, involved in that to a level of making sure the executive team are all engaged and um, excited about what we're doing. But also, yeah, key hiring decisions. I like to just sort of be involved and make sure there's a, a cultural fit there. And, and then finance. So with my chief financial officer, Tim White, um, you know, always sort of keeping an eye on that and looking at margin and um, understanding the sort of fundamentals of the business and um, board interactions. So I am, yeah, I am the interface between the board and the executive team and the rest of the team. So that's, that's been really interesting for me to learn and sort of grow into, into that role because it is, it's, it's a real, it's a very um, exciting role because you are really, as an MD, you've actually got the board is your boss, like they do hire and fire, the CEO or the MD. So, so you've kind of got four bosses. Um, so that's, that's kind of exciting and also requires, yeah, kind of care and consideration. And it's nice though, because you get the personalities across all of them and you get the insights across all of them. And then it's translating that into actual execution. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an exciting role, but it's, it is, um, it's definitely demanding and definitely complex. Yeah. Oh, I could only imagine. And how many people, the team's grown from just you, how many people in the team now? Yeah, including our casual pool uh, that work in our distribution team, there's almost 40 of us, which is really exciting. And a call out to the young listeners, I'm really proud that we've had some great um, uh, younger people come into the organisation and grow into roles and progress um, from from the distribution team now into sort of, um, I'm just looking overhead, I can see Peter Downey from, from Lake Grace coming in. Um, he's now sort of a product analyst, so he's kind of on that data side. And we offer, I guess we really like to offer roles that um, allow you to grow, but also sometimes we don't have the answer um, in-house, so you've got to work it out. And, um, yeah, you've got to work it out fairly quickly and under a bit of pressure. But um, we, we feel that's kind of an engaging place to work. So, And we want people to see pathways in food and ag that maybe allows you to look at distribution, operations, marketing, regenerative farming, like that's something we really aspire to, that it's a place that people want to come and work and can look left and right at other opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the emerging areas in food innovation that are most exciting for you? Uh, right now, it, it is definitely in, in plant-based um, technologies. So we, to be clear, as a regenerative um, food and ag company, we believe in livestock and, and we think people, um, you know, eating livestock uh, and animal protein that has been farmed in a way that promotes um, the sequestration of carbon, uh, the protection of biodiversity and water cycle is, is a positive thing and an important part of a regenerative system. But I can definitely see um, from consumer trends, from investment trends, that plant-based is going to be a bigger part of our diets going forward. And so we have our oat milk, oat up, um, and that's been really interesting to see how, you know, a a crop like oat is now being drunk. I mean, even five, ten years ago, I don't think we would have been having that conversation. Um, And then for us, it's really the the lupin protein. That is, that is so exciting and so has so much potential and that it could really unlock a whole new source of uh, protein um, from, a, from a crop that is now 95% um, fed to livestock. Uh, bringing that into human food consumption, 
Uh, nutritionists, dietitians are so excited by that. And, um, yeah, we are too. We think it's going to be a, a real game changer on the whole global protein, plant-based protein um, sector. Yeah, I think that that's definitely an area that is um, so uh, uh, not, just not tapped into. So it's it's really mm-hmm. cool to see you guys utilising traditional broadacre crops to be able to get into this new space. And what does the National Science Week topic, food different by design, mean to you? Um, well, sort of everything. It kind of captures what, what we believe around um, differently by design. We think and can see with our food brand, Dirty Clean Food, like we have over now 10,000 customers that come to our online platform. Um, like there is an absolute thirst for people understanding how food is produced. Um, I think there was a point where that, that sort of link between farm and consumer snapped a little bit, but now there's this absolute overwhelming interest in how do you farm? And, like, on our social media, we really try and communicate the stories and we get a lot of likes and a lot of engagement and that, that's a beautiful thing. So Different by Design is actually around um, we, we like to communicate how our um, regenerative farmers um, do apply their practices and so that's that's an important part. And then the second part by design, I think, is also really being able to articulate those stories through a food brand. So not a lot of food brands are sort of built around the farming practices. They're more around sort of either like we're an established company or we've been doing this for ages, so you should trust us and look at our brand. But actually, Dirty Clean Food was designed to say, yeah, dirty, healthy soil, clean. We're trying to remove or eliminate whatever artificial chemicals we can. Um, yeah, that's, that's a real different design. And then the third part is around, like, using technology. And we're not, um, we're not anti-technology at all. Like, our farmers use the best um, uh, precision agriculture techniques they can with their disc seeders and their biological fertiliser inputs and their spray regimes. And also with the lupin, you know, we are really excited about this technology that sort of unfolds the lupin protein and just offers it to so many different food and drink categories. It's just really exciting. So, yeah, I think it's a really good uh, topic. Yeah, absolutely. It's really exciting. And we had the Science Week breakfast yesterday and we got to try some of the OTAP. So that was really cool. Excellent. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So what are you most excited for with the future of Wide Open Ag? Oh, I think it's scaling our impact, definitely, yeah. to me. It's, it's being able to um, have more farmers um, have a look at how um, our current suppliers are farming, um, to understand that, um, to test it, to uh, mix it up a little bit. We do not profess to have all the answers, but we do want to offer an alternate pathway. Um, and that's not for everyone. That's absolutely understood. But we do want farmers who might be sort of leaning towards that way or interested or have a neighbour over the other side of the fence applying some of these practices to, to see it and to really make a fair decision. And then, you know, we want, we want to make sure that every consumer that wants to eat um, regeneratively farmed food or feels aligned to that has access to it. So we really want to reach out, uh, grow our Dirty Clean Food brand, really build that, that digital platform. We, we love delivering to homes because then we get to get we get to know each customer um, we get a better gross margin for it and um, it's an exciting business model as well the online shopping category um, we think perhaps other people in other states or in other cities in Asia 
would like to be doing the same thing that Dirty Clean Food does and perhaps we can help them and support them in, in some way. Um, then the oat milk we really want to take to Asia. Like that's our real focus. We know Asian markets love West Australian oats and really are interested in, um, you know, our already clean and green credentials with regenerative um, food over, overlay that. So that, that's really exciting for us. And then the lupin protein, you know, we really hope is a, is a global um, sort of rival, even to like the really the big ones, like, like the soy and the pea proteins of the world. That, that lupin um, as a commodity is actually lifted from animal feedstock pricing to human food. And we've seen how, what difference that makes like to a product like, uh, to a crop like oats. So that would be really exciting if we could send a whole market signal that, yeah, planting lupins is as good as planting a crop of canola or barley. That would be just such a great impact uh, for us around soil health and allowing farmers to plant a lupin crop and, and know they're going to um, get a fair price for it. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, thank you so much for today. It's been great to chat to you. Before you go, where can people find out more information about you and Wide Open Ag? Yeah, definitely. Just all the usual Facebooks and social medias with wideopenagriculture.com.au and then our food brand, um, dirtycleanfood.com.au is a great place to start and really great Instagram and Facebook pages there that just sort of communicate our story and on-farm practices. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lavinia. Thank you for listening to this episode of the National Science Week podcast by Generation Ag. In the meantime, head over to scienceweek.net.au to see what National Science Week's events are on in your area this year or check the National Science Week Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Bye.